Welcome to the SBS podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour and welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Before we start, uh, let me remind you that you can uh, download, stream or subscribe to our podcast on our website sbs.com.au slash tdf or schedule rides with our friends at Zwift. Joining me, a very devastated Dave McKenzie. I am, I am. And, you know, we, uh, we always say we try and be upfront and truthful in our podcasts and not try and silver, silver coat anything. I, I am a bit devastated because Richie Port's lost a bunch of time today and he should, well, he shouldn't have. It's easy to say it when you're sitting on the other side of the fence. Um, well, he, he couldn't really afford to lose much more time going into the mountains and he has, so that's a shame. Technically, and for people that can't visualise this podcast, we are actually sitting on a fence, not... Uh, we are actually sitting on a fence. <laughs> it, well, it's more of a brick wall, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's hot anyway. Okay, uh, but let's recap on this stage. We have a wonderful winner. Van Aert, three times world champion cyclocross. He won some stages at Dauphiné. He's a bit up there. He's more than up there, isn't he? And look, he, he, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, again, I refer to our tipping competition. I don't think anyone picked him. And you can sort of, you, you question yourself, how did we overlook him? Uh, not just so, not so much for today, but just in general. And we haven't overlooked him per se, but you know, not tipping him for a potential stage win. Uh, he was almost probably always going to get one because, you know, what, what we saw of him at the Crotum de Dauphiné, two stages in a row, the individual time trial and then a stage. Uh, and sort of similar fashion to that, a reduced field, bunch sprint. I mean, the guy's a superstar. And for Jumbo Visma, you know, George Bennett, he was a big, big loser today in the general classification. Fourth overall at the start of the day. He's dropped completely out, losing over two minutes, but then they win the stage. So, you know, in the end, it's actually been a good day for them. Jumbo are having a pretty good start of the tour. Four wins overall so far. Well, I've, I've heard they're actually packing up and going home. They're, job done. Job, job, job done. They're like, you know what, Stephen, Stephen Kruzvak, don't worry about it, brother. Don't worry about the GC. Look, we've, we've got enough stage wins. Sponsors are happy. No, it's true. They've had an incredible first uh, 10 stages. And uh, now, they, now for teams like that, anything they do beyond this is a, is a bonus. Of course, Stephen Cruz, like for the general classification, they'll focus on that. But, geez, they, they know how to win, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, what's going on with cyclocross in Northern Europe? We've got Van Der Poel, we've got Van Aert, and they're all making switch to road, and they're making big successes. What, 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 what brings those riders to, to the road, and why are they so successful on the road? Well, I think the first part of that question is, is simple. The road is it's the biggest sport of cycling in Europe, the road, of all the disciplines. So there's that natural sort of attraction to, you know, you want to reach the pinnacle of the, of the sport on two wheels. The second part is why are they so successful? I mean, look, I think there's just two or three freaks. They're obviously the best in the world at cyclocross. So uh, to the transition to the road, the high level of intensity in cyclocross certainly suits them in one-day races and certainly the classics. Um, but saying that, you know, you can't, you can't say, oh, they're good because of the high intensity or they're good because of this and that. They're good because they're good. They're just good. You know, you suddenly put 
Wout van Aert on a track bike in, a t- in an individual pursuit, he'd probably go pretty damn good. You know, you, you put him in a mountain bike race, I guarantee you, he'd go pretty damn good, you know, after, after a bit of um, trial and error. So he's a freak. He's a freak. And he's proving he's potentially got a big future in, um, in road racing. Okay, we've got to talk about it now. You talk about packing up and go home at the other side of the field. Richie Porte is not looking good at all. We can't hide it. He's almost four minutes down on GC. Is this already too hard for him to come back? What would he need to claim that yellow jersey in Paris? Or is this almost impossible now? The yellow jersey is out of reach. Let's not hide behind the facts. Okay, We are truthful in in this podcast. Can he do it? And, and, you know, to respect all our listeners, I think you all know that the answer to that question as well. So the yellow jersey is out of reach. What isn't out of reach? And honestly, I'd say this truthfully, the podium is still within reach. The thing with the thing with this stage, Richie didn't lose time because he was riding because he's weak, uh, because he was didn't have the physical ability. He lost time because he was technically outsmarted. You know, there were guys, that, there was a big group that made that front split and he should have been there. He knows that. If he's listening, he's like, well, no kidding. You know, so I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know. You get caught out. He wasn't the only guy to get caught out, by the way. And Thibaut Pino, another guy who I've been really singing praises of and actually really thinking he could win this race, the yellow... Not out of reach for Thibaut because he's gained some time. So that time he's gained, he's lost it and he's lost some more. Um, but he was technically outsmarted. And you can't, one thing you can't afford to be at the Tour de France or any of those Grand Tours is outsmarted technically. Because we come back to the discussion you and I had yesterday in this podcast. Ineos, X-Sky, do not put a, uh, a foot wrong or almost not. They are always in those, this sort of breakaways. They never get caught out. And... and you know, again, we've got to sing their praises because, or I'll sing their praises. And I know some of you listening will say, oh, yes, Sky or Ineos, they're boring. Well, it's been the, the way they clinically race. I totally, look, I agree with you at, on occasions. But that's the style that they race at. However, and yes, they've got the biggest budget and they ride super smart. But as we've just got all the police walking past us, a little bit nervous. They look pretty damn serious. I I can see you're sweating a little bit. (laughs) I've done nothing wrong. Wasn't me, wasn't me. Um, Isn't that the first first instance of guilt? (laughs) Um, Sky, Ineos, what what we sometimes miss when we we discuss them and say, oh, yeah, they climbed awesome. He was the best time trialist through me, Garrett Thomas. What we sometimes brush over is the fact that all those other one percenters that any team can do any team can do it. You don't have to be super strong. Like when Garrett Thomas crashed, within five seconds, his teammates were around him, picking him up off the road, throwing, throwing him on his bike and sending him off. You know, if that would happen to Richie Port, if that would happen to, look, Thibaut Pino, I guarantee you it just wouldn't be as slick. That split in the front, how many Ineos missed it? I think one, Castro Viejo. He was the only guy that I can think, maybe Walt Poles, maybe. One or two, the rest of them were in the front split because they're switched on. So you don't need to have a huge VO2. You don't need to have huge watts to be in the front position to make the split. You just need to be switched on. Having said this, we discussed you and I when that was happening, but when the group group was left behind with Richie, with Pino, we couldn't see the, the full Enos going full gas. 
because as Sophie Smith, our colleague, uh, made a good point, they're in a way right defensively. They're not taking any opportunity on the attack like this. Why is that? Is that in their culture? It's a good question. Look, initially they weren't. And since now, sort of reviewing it in my mind, I think what they did, because afterwards we saw then they did, they absolutely pulled and pulled super hard, probably more than anyone as a complete team, you know, of, of the, the teams that had numbers. But they didn't go aggressively from the world go to break, to break that gap wide open from the world go. You know what it was? Because that gap came back to 12 seconds. That's the sad point of this discussion. Yeah. Richie Porte came back at 12 seconds of joining back that group and he finishes today at 1 minute 30. Yeah. yeah, you have hit it right on the head, absolutely. They got so, so close and you know what? I think when they got that close, that's when radio filtered through and in, uh, uh, team director Nicholas Portal would have said, they're at 12 seconds and they guessed it. So I think, so going back to just answering the first part of that, I think they were monitoring the situation and they're looking, and as silly as it sounds, maybe, maybe not, but when, you, when you're a professional cyclist in that sort of split, in, in that, like at that scenario of a race, you know when they're going full gas and you know when you either need to be on the front or not. So I think they were going hard enough and Ineos were going to themselves, you know what, we're going full gas at the moment. And I was looking at their facial expressions at, at that period when they weren't on the front everyone was hurting like everyone was full gas including Ineos so I think they were just waiting until that pace eased slightly and it was probably at that point when the Richie Port group got to 12 seconds and then they went okay now we feel like we can go to the front and and not we're not risking suddenly we're not making ourselves vulnerable so they just rode it again technically really smart okay now we've got to talk about Caleb Um, because Caleb again came so close he came fourth on the stage just behind Matthews but in a field that is diminished of, um, of its sprinters and they are full of GC riders around them why is Caleb not winning a sprint like this one? Well I'll tell you what happened you know what I think you've got to listen to the interview I did with Caleb because he, he sort of sums it up and it's, he didn't make excuses but he, he made a pretty good um, point DJ, roll the tape Caleb, uh, gee, tough day. I think anyone who made that front group did a good job. Just run us through the last kil kilometre or so because you're in a good position. Yeah, um, I chose the, the team that had the most guys and Sunweb, uh, yeah, they, they definitely had the numbers there in the final. So I thought uh, Matthews was going to be the wheel to choose, but I think his uh, lead-out man stuffed him up big time because he should have gone when the, the road kicked up, but he hesitated and we lost all our speed and then the, the guys just came straight past, so... Yeah, in the end, it wasn't the wheel to be on because the guys came from behind with so much speed. What about when it split initially? Was there any uh, any warning or did it just happen like that because some big names, big GC guys and a few sprinters missed that split? Yeah, I actually didn't even know it split. It was actually quite easy where I was sitting. So uh, I was riding along and then I saw the GC riders um, chasing and then I just heard on the radio that it split, so... And then once I looked back and I saw there, there wasn't many guys left. Looking forward to the rest day? Oh, yeah. I've never looked forward to a rest day so much in my life. That was Caleb Ewan, anyway. Uh, great interview, Maka. And quite a good insight of what happened for him. Uh, you know what? What I will say is I effectively threw a microphone in his face. And what I will say about Caleb uh, this year, well, it's his first Tour de France, but I've interviewed him quite a bit in Australia over the years and, and a little bit in Europe. He seems, no matter what... He actually seems in really good spirits and he's, he wasn't angry, he wasn't upset even with what he said. So I think he's just enjoying, he's enjoying the experience and based on that, I still believe, look, 
I still think he'll nail a stage. I really did. And I think he accepts partly that he probably shouldn't, he should have jumped first. And, you know, he summed it up, so I won't sort of rehash what he just said. But I still think he'll, uh, he's got a big chance before the tour is out. Yeah, absolutely. What other learning can we have from this stage? Other than Albi is a very hard city to park in. <laughs> That's a little inside joke, but we struggled to find a, play, a, a car space for our car. We're okay. Oh, maybe it's because I was driving. Okay. Oh, you. Oh, oh, I've hit a nerve. I've hit a nerve. <laughs> um, that, another good question. You're coming out with a good ones today. Um, look, Ineos. What we learnt was okay. What we learnt was Ineos haven't missed a beat, and they haven't had everything their way, but they haven't missed a beat. What else we learnt was all the other general classification riders. You are on notice from Ineos. You are on notice, and they are watching every move you make or don't make. So if you haven't learnt your lesson from the crosswinds, well, then you're not going to learn your lesson. You know, they're the two things I'll say. Okay, we also want to mention that Alaphilippe is still in yellow. Quite unexpected if we go back to the start in Belgium to think that Alaphilippe will be in yellow in Albi. I'm going to ask this question again because I was said in the broadcast, why can't he think about GC? Is it because of his team? Is it because of the way he rides? And, or can they start thinking about GC? And if not, uh, how far can he take this? I, I, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Look, and, and the reason why, uh, there's, there's a few reasons, I guess. The main reason, I think, is because, well, one is he's not general classification, so we think. The second one is, and part of that is, he's raced so hard in these 10 stages. What people don't probably realise is that, okay, yes, the team's protected him, like looked after him, he hasn't put his face in the wind unless he's been on the attack but when he has, the amount that taxes you, being in the yellow jersey taxes you, you know and yeah, of course, Garrett Thomas could have been in the yellow and goes on to win the tour, he's a different type of rider though, so I just think either it's the first or second mountain stage, he'll probably lose the jersey and that's not saying as a negative it's just that He'll, I think he'll switch his focus then. Um, so I don't know. I don't think so. And and the other one, sorry, to, we have to remind everyone to kind of quick step or remind ourselves more so. They've got Enrique Mus. Enrique Mus is their general classification rider. Can he at least take that jersey to the next time trial and potentially lose it over there? How many mountain stages before? To, no, Tourmalade, no, no. I don't believe so. Look, if I'm wrong, brother, if I am wrong. What, what do you want? Just, you, you name it. You name it, brother. You tell me what you want. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of serious because I, if he, if he, the thing is, with that question right, if you are, well, you, I was about to say if you're right, you're not saying he will either. You're simply asking the question. However, if he holds oh, You're already jersey. backing off from what I've just said. <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. Well, I've been wrong once already. And I'm, aren't I meant to be the, the expert analyst here? So... If he holds that jersey to the TT, he can finish on the podium. I'll throw that out there because that means he'll have got through two mountain stages plus and, and included in that is a mountaintop up the Tourmalet. So if he holds a jersey to the TT, the guy can finish on the podium. Okay, 10 days in, who's looking the most likely to be in yellow in Paris? Where is that race shaping? It's a very hard question. I would put my neck on the line to say... We are looking very good for Garen Thomas right now. He's the most comfortable rider right now to get that yellow at some point and drag it down to Paris. I agree. And, and 
I want to say someone else, not because I don't like Garen Thomas. He is, he is such a gentleman and he's such a, a, a sort of a, a likeable person. But for the race, I want to see another winner. I want to see someone completely different. Um, but I agree with you. And again, how can you, how can you sort of, uh, you can't wish any, and I don't, but you can't wish any bad luck or anything against him or his team because they, they actually don't deserve it because they're riding so well. And again, it's the one percenters. And I think sometimes we need to give all the one percenters that Ineos manage, they, we get, need to give them more credit because they manage it better than in any other team. The only one I can think of that could potentially challenge Thomas at this point from what I've seen in the first 10 days is Kruzweig. Yes, he lost a little bit of time up uh, La Planche de Belfi. However, as I've been saying, uh, I think since the very beginning, the last four stages in the Alps are monstrous. And Kruzweig, you know, on his day in the big high mountains, is actually very good. And it was only, like I said, When he, when he crashed across the top of the Stelvio with about three days to go in the Giro d'Italia, he was not going to lose that race until that crash. He was in incredible form, and that was against the likes of Nibali at his very best. Uh, Nibali, of course, went on to win the race after Kruzvik crashed. And, of course, Esteban Chavez, who had an incredible Giro that year. So I think I'm with you on that as well. I mean, look, it's a pity about Thibaut Pinot losing that time But it's a pity for him more than anyone else, you know. Uh, he's, he's just done a big blow because his time trialling won't be as good as uh, Garrett Thomas's. His climbing potentially will be better. He's given G a head start, hasn't he? Absolutely. Okay, we're not going to talk about the next stage because between the next stage, there is a rest day. So first of all, the rest day, before we talk laundry or whatever, there is the rest day rides, uh, which are uh, organized by Zwift. Uh, so you, therefore, you can uh, organize a ride uh, with uh, Kino, so Matthew Kinnon and Robbie McEwen. Maka, this is a great event. Are you going to have a look at this? I'll definitely, I think I'll have a look at it. I won't be able to partake because I don't have a bike, but, you know. That, I know, I know. It's a little bit sad, but, you know, hey, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Some of us have to work. Um, but what I will do is I, I'm going to study, at the, I'm going to look at the tipping competition as well, by the way, on a side note, because uh, there's been a couple of uh, shockers, I must say, and our, our cameraman, I have to mention it, he actually wanted to mention, I can't believe it, because he picked uh, Mohoric on one of the stages and we all laughed at him and it's been this ongoing gag. Paul Mohoric, he's actually a very good bike rider, but, you know, he hasn't figured in our tips and our cameraman is feeling a little let down, so he's, he wants to bounce back. So there you go, Eduardo. I've mentioned it. Now we've got to move on from it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want more information on the race day for Zwift, you can actually check the website zwift.com slash events. Uh, that event will be live stream on our Facebook page, the Cycling Central Facebook page. Race day tomorrow. It means one word, laundry, laundry, laundry. Laundry. And I think we're doing a rest day pod, aren't we? We are, absolutely. I think we are. So, as you said, we won't, give, we won't talk about the next stage because we've got to drip feed you listeners. We've got to keep you keen and you need some, a bit of recovery as well. So, what can we look forward to on the rest day? Well, our rest day podcasts have always been a little bit special. So, we better get our thinking cap on, my friend. <laughs> well, we are, in, we are in a UNESCO World Heritage City the cathedral we can literally see it from where we speak so yeah but that's the boring part there is good wine here Ooh, there is yes. very good wine there is we're in the tarn it is a love and yes we are absolutely i can see it wine saucisse and uh fromage 
we'll see. Thank you, Maka. Thank you. This was the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast, the end of the first uh, stint on this Tour de France, the first 10 stages. Remember that you can uh, download, stream or subscribe to our podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash TDF or schedule rides with our friends at Zwift. Until the next podcast, which you will understand will be a rest day podcast tomorrow. It's back for now. A quick shout out from our sponsor before we go. If you're looking for a new way to ride without traffic or punches getting in your way, Hop on Zwift. We use it. Your cycling buddies probably use it. And the pros, they definitely use it. Zwift turned indoor training into a full-on gaming experience. Connect your PC, Mac or Apple device and you'll pedal with thousands of cyclists around the world. And there's a good chance you'll see a pro on there too. Loads of them are on Zwift on their rest days riding around Wattopia. Give them a ride on if you see them. If you've got a trainer, start your free trial on Zwift.com.